This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back in with you guys for another show for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, our twice weekly show on a Tuesday and a Friday at 5 pm. And on our Tuesday show, I'm joined by a guest. I'm very happy to say that today I'm joined by Harry Simeon. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yes, very good. It's very good. But to be fair, we are a little bit late if you are tuning in live. Classic. I mean, it's, it's weird. We've had all this kind of t- a year and a bit of lockdown and I've actually experienced rush hour for the first time in like 18 months, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but it's maybe it's a good sign of the world's getting back to normal, which uh, we can focus on. But no, things are good with you, mate. All well? Yeah, all good, man. Keeping busy, keeping busy. Um, yeah, just nerves are kicking in ahead of Thursday. That's the that's the big thing now, isn't it? The big focus. We got the kind of Sheffield United game out of the way, which mm. in the lead up felt a little bit like a, a distraction, but it's done now. And now it's fully focused on the, on the game on Thursday. Yeah, the game on Thursday is, of course, one that, I mean, arguably it is Mikel Arteta's most important game of his tenure. So, I mean, is it arguably more important than the FA Cup game, do you think, of, of last season, the final? Yeah, I mean, the FA Cup final last season, I guess there wasn't a great deal of pressure on Mikel Arteta, right? He'd taken over the team in December. We knew that the team weren't quite good enough to compete at the highest level. He'd gone up against Manchester City. He'd gone up against Chelsea. And it was almost like it, it was great that we won it, of course. But the, the I guess the expectation wasn't really there. I think this game has an added significance, obviously, because of where we find ourselves in the Premier League. And listen, I've been called all sorts over the last few weeks. Arteta apologist is probably the most common one. Um, But there's no getting away from the fact that our our league position is not acceptable. Whether you back him or you don't, it's just not good enough. And and there's no sort of way of getting around that for me. Do you think that, I mean, you say there you got called an Arteta apologist. Um, I mean, we're so used to division amongst the Arsenal fan base from our time with Arsene Wenger and then towards the end of the Unai Emery era, it began again. And, and now we're seeing it with with Arteta. I mean, I kind of, I, t- I titled the video, is the Arteta out kind of label a justified statement? Because, I mean, we've got guests that come on the show all the time and, and are well entitled to that view and that opinion and explain why they want 
to the current, current regime to move on. And yourself on the same old Arsenal, Dan, a good friend of ours, we know is, is not happy. And he puts across very strong arguments at times to, to, to kind of put forth that view. And I can, I can hear it and understand it. Do you think there's maybe an element that there's maybe a lack of patience or is it, do you think expectations are higher than what the reality of Arsenal's situation is? Why, why do you think there is such a vocal call right now for him to, to go? It's a bit of both, really. I think, first of all, the expectations that some of our fans have, I think, are ridiculous. And it's not because we shouldn't be aspiring to be the best that we can, right? We all, most of us remember Arsenal in the glory days, in the heyday, and we all kind of long for that time to come back again. But the reality is we're a million miles from that. And you've also got to consider that football has changed. You know, you're you're now talking about... Manchester City. Where were Manchester City in 2004 when we were going the season unbeaten? You know, they've come on the scene. Liverpool have have vastly improved under Jurgen Klopp. And then you've got, you know, Chelsea who can spend serious money. Manchester United who can spend serious money. Tottenham over the last decade or so have closed the gap as well. So not only have we fallen as a team, but it's become more difficult and there's now more competition. So I think you have to factor all of those things in. And and I'm not for a second saying that I'm happy where Arsenal are in the league. But even if Arsenal were to perform at their maximum, do you think they'd be higher than fourth or fifth? Probably not. That's probably our ceiling at the moment. And that's what Mm. I think a lot of Arsenal fans are struggling to get their head around. It's almost having to change your mindset. And I get it's difficult and you don't want to do it. But the reality is that we're not, we're not sitting at the top table anymore. And so to look at a manager who's been here for a year and four months, three months of which were during lockdown, COVID, no football being played. I think to look at where we are now, it's not acceptable, but it shouldn't come as a massive surprise. It's not accept- I mean, what is acceptable then would be the question because where where do you think is kind of the scope that this Arsenal team should be looking at finishing? Because in my mind, at the start of the season, the target is always going to be get this club back into the Champions League. But we, I mean, I look at the clubs that are around us, I look at their starting 11s and I look at how some of our players have performed, not because of poor tactics, just because of their actual performances and, and them individually. And I struggled to see ourselves as a genuine kind of contender amongst that top four with the current crop of players that's available to Arteta. So do you think that what would be to you an acceptable finish under the current circumstances of of the manager? At the start of the season, if you'd have asked me what I wanted to see, and, and I've been consistent with this, I said I wanted to see progress. And I'm, you know, I... I'm not sure that we have seen a lot of progress in terms of results. I think we've seen progress in other ways. I think we've seen, uh, we've we've started to find a bit of an identity in terms of how we're going to play the game. He's had to do some some cleaning up from the previous regime and the regime before that. So I think we've seen some progress in those areas. But from a results perspective, you have to give it to those people who who are not happy. They've got a point. You know, that there's no, as I said before, there's no getting away from that. I wanted Arsenal to be close to the top four this season. That was my realistic expectation. It was Arsenal to challenge for the top four. If we missed out, then I would have been accepting of it because we were eighth last year. So that leap up sort of that people are expecting just feels a little bit OTT for me. Mm. But to be where we are now, obviously, isn't isn't good enough. The issue is that people seem to overlook a lot of the factors that have contributed to that. And football is not as simple as saying 
this is what this is how good our squad is. This is where we should finish. We've seen countless teams underachieve. We've seen other teams overachieve. That's just because th- there are other factors in the game that people, for whatever reason, are, ch- are choosing to ignore. And I think the best example you can give of, you know, a group underachieving, that Chelsea team that won the league under Antonio Conte, the year before that, they finished 10th, Tom. 10th in the Premier League. I'm not saying Arsenal are going to go from 10th in the Premier League to winning the title, but the point is that teams can have bad seasons mm. and it doesn't mean that things are as doom and gloom as they look. And and you've also got to take into account the fact that we're looking forward and we're looking at, you know, the likes of Gabriel Martinelli, Bukayo Saka, Emil Smith-Rowe. It's not all doom and gloom at Arsenal. There is some bright future there. And I think if we stick with this manager, I really do think if we stick with him, we'll see the benefits of it over the longer term. Chris Fung in the chat um, says the problem with this debate is that those who are Arteta in say that who can replace him with this current squad and then who could get better with the current squad of players. But those that are Arteta out will say that there are managers with lesser players, like people reference West Ham and David Moyes or Brendan Rodgers and, and Leicester, although I personally feel that Leicester have a, a better starting eleven than us currently. Uh, and West Ham's is a lot better than people give them credit for. Um I just, I don't, for me, get kind of the idea around a different coach doing a lot more than what we're doing right now. And I think to sacrifice the long term of what next season could show us and what the season after that could show us in comparison to kind of going back to square one under a new coach and then then they have to build their own squads. That's where I kind of struggle to, to get on board with the idea. I'm very much inclined to say that I give him this summer, and if we're not progressing after another summer of additions, at that point, I think we're much better inclined to have a a realistic idea about whether or not this is the right guy to take us forwards. When you see people say, like, they would rather see a Rafa Benitez come in, they'd see, I saw someone today suggest Maurizio Sarri uh, come in today as well. There are managers out there that are certainly more experienced, and it seems to be kind of this word experience that gets thrown at Arteta a lot. Do you think it is it is a, a genuine criticism that's that's kind of worth bringing into the fold? Because I've seen young managers like Julian Nagelsmann, for instance, do really well with teams. So is experience something that we desperately need in a coach at Arsenal? I think there have been occasions where we've seen a lack of experience shown by Mikel Arteta. And I don't necessarily think it's been necessarily on the pitch. I think it's been off the pitch. I think it's been some of the interviews, some of the press conferences. I think at times he's maybe gone in too hard on players publicly when he probably should have kept it in-house to to sort of avoid the repercussions. I think that, you know, when you see Mikel Arteta after a game, he's got that glazed look when we haven't won and he looks really sort of disappointed. And on the one hand, you like that as a fan because you know he's going through it with you. But on the other hand, a more experienced manager would cover that up. And by covering that up, you probably avoid some of the unsettling stories that then come out off the back of that. So I think there has been occasions where we've seen Mikel's lack of experience come through and it's probably had a negative effect. But I think the experience thing, it can be a bit of a lazy argument. You look at somebody like David Moyes. David Moyes has got bags of experience. And David Moyes' team are having a very, very good season. But it's this season for West Ham is an anomaly. This is not... This is not a sustain, David Moyes is not going to sustain that at West Ham. 
It's a complete anomaly, just like us being in mid-table is an anomaly, just like Liverpool being so far off the top is an anomaly. And those things happen in football. And there's this whole thing around short-termism nowadays where people look at a manager and go, well, let's get Rafa Benitez in for the next 12 months and he'll sort us right out. The reality is that Arsenal had so many fundamental issues that have developed over the last decade that now we're in a place where a short-term fix is just going to paper over the cracks, that we need the long-term approach. Mikel Arteta represents that long-term approach. And on the one hand, you've got people saying he shouldn't drop a Bamiyang and he shouldn't do this and he shouldn't do that. And on the other hand, it's the same people that spent 10 years moaning about the culture at the club. Well, mm. to change that culture, he's going to have to make those tough decisions. And we as fans, I'm not saying we should blindly agree with everything he does, but we have to accept that he's doing it because he sees it as something that has to happen for us to get to the place we need to be. Let me play devil's advocate then, um, because what you said there is is how I feel regarding the long term of the club. It's not going to turn things around. If, it, if Arsenal was a graph, it's a declining graph at this stage, and you don't see this graph all of a sudden do a V-shape and turn in the other direction, it's going to be a U-shape and gradually turn if it is going to go in the right direction. But for me, one of the biggest factors in whether or not that, that graph begins to have an upturn is on how it's run and how we invest and whether there is any kind of movement regards to how much we're able to spend in the coming summer. Because in my mind, and I know that a lot of people kind of give me a bit of stick for having this view, but I feel like we could have Pep Guardiola in charge of this team and Arteta could be in charge of Manchester City. But because the spending power of those clubs, no matter who's in charge to a degree, they're going to be at a different level because they can just keep on spending and bringing in the much bigger players and a more frequent amount of quality players than we're able to do. So whilst you talk about there the long terminology of the team and maybe and other, others might say a better manager can get more from this squad, do you think realistically if things continue as they have done over, say, the last decade with the ownership, that we have any hope of getting back into the top four, any hope of ever one day competing for titles? We need a very good manager to do it. And I do believe that Mikel Arteta will go on to be a very good manager. The question is, will he get there quick enough? That is the that is the big question. Will he get there quick enough for him to turn around the results so that the pressure is relieved from him? Because there is a lot of pressure at the moment. And this league position is 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 the main sort of reason for that. I think with the ownership, it, it has been a problem. Um and, you know, we've we've kind of gone through spells as a fan base where we've really homed in on it and focused on it and tried to do something about it. But again, even in that, division comes through. You know, this person wants to take the lead. That person wants to take the lead. That person doesn't want to listen to someone else's view. And it just turns into a complete mess. And even that, even something as pivotal as that, the future of our football club, the running of our football club, as a fan base, we can't all agree. So... Mm. I think that we as a fan base at times can have a negative negative effect on, on what goes on. When you look at sort of Mikel Arteta and, and you look at the, the business he's done in the transfer market so far, you know, he's brought Gabriel in. I think that was a pretty good sign-in. He's brought Thomas Partey in, another good sign-in. He's managed to land Martin Odegaard on a loan deal, which I think is a good sign-in. And there has been some other um, signings that have come in, obviously of a lesser profile. But those signings have been patch-up jobs. And they've been patch-up jobs because we can't afford as a football club to go out and bring the right players in. Do you think that Mikel Arteta 
was dreaming at night of signing Renarsson, that he wanted to sign <laughs> Cedric, that he want yeah. you know, it, it, it's patch up jobs. And why can't people get their heads around that? That's what drives me absolutely crazy. When Arsene Wenger was doing it, he was picking out gems from, he was picking out five players. A couple of them would be gems. Three of them would be terrible. And and that happens. But th- this is a manager who is quite clear on what he wants. He wanted a centre-back. He wanted a centre-midfielder. He's got those. And, and he's having to patch up the positions around them because we don't have the finance. I don't get what is so difficult to understand about that. We've signed Brighton's goalkeeper on loan. Arsenal to sign a player on loan from Brighton. We signed Cedric on loan from Southampton. That tells you all you need to know about where we are financially and 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 should evidence that this is a much bigger problem than Mikel Arteta. Well, some people would say that they're Arteta's signings. Like Cedric, he decided to sign him. He decided to sign Willian. He decided to sign Runnison. And they use that as, as a criticism of Arteta that he could have got other players. He could have chosen to go elsewhere. But are you saying then that he had basically no choice in the matter. I'm not. We... I'm not saying he had completely no choice because obviously right. he was he was in charge when those players were signed. So he's picked those players, but he's picked them because he's had to do deals on a low budget. If if Mikel Arteta needed to get another goalkeeper in when Emmy Martinez left and there was money available, do you think he would have signed Renarsson? That's kind of my point. It's not that you know, it's not that he hasn't had any hand in those signings. It's that he's had to make do with low budget signings and short term signings because of the lack of finance. What, I mean, to balance the argument uh, from your perspective, what would you be have have been the biggest criticism of Arteta this season? What are the things that you have looked at and that he needs to really improve on? There's a couple of things. Um, The first one, I think he needs to improve in man management. I think there have been, as I mentioned earlier, there have been situations where he's made things public where he probably shouldn't have. I think that he's given certain players game time, they've performed and then they've not found themselves out of the team the next week. And that must, as a player, that must make you feel, you know, disengaged. Um, I think that is probably the biggest thing for me about Mikel Arteta, but these are things that he will learn. And these are things that, you know, he will... He will get better at over time, hopefully. And the other thing is probably, I think his tactics were a little bit negative in the first half of the season. And I think at a time where we were, you know, we probably should have been a bit braver. We should have been a bit more expansive. We should have been a little bit more positive. Just like Jurgen Klopp was when he first went to Liverpool, they couldn't defend for shit, but everybody accepted it because they were playing a really attractive brand of football. Yeah, And and it kind of... On the one hand, I get why he did it. He wanted to stabilise the ship. But on the other hand, I think actually once we'd got into that mode, it was harder to come out of it. It took us too long to come out of it. We dropped too many points in the process and we ended up in the position we're in. Let's let's make no mistake about it. Arsenal's league position now is not because of what's happened over the last three or four months. It's because of what occurred in the lead up to Christmas. That's why we're in the mess that we're in now. And that has put, obviously, a hell of a lot of pressure on Thursday's game and, and what Thursday is all about. And that, that game on Thursday, uh, last Thursday, when, of course, we drew 1-1, and in my mind, that, for me, was the kind of perfect example of how low the fan base is because 
that how people perceived that performance and perceived that result because of that goal at the end of the game completely was exaggerated in my view and completely changed things. Because if Arsenal go and win that game 1-0, it's it's very different. I know a lot of people don't want to talk about ifs, buts and and maybes and if things were different, blah, blah, blah. But in my view, we we created five clear-cut chances in that game and we should have won that game by a considerable amount of goals. Uh, And we wouldn't be worrying anywhere near as much about this Thursday as, as we could have done. But the valid argument is is that we didn't put away those chances. And Lacazette, despite scoring two goals this weekend, has shown this season that he's missed big chances in big games. And again, certain players like Martinelli have not been given the opportunity until a lot of players like we saw this weekend are not available for Arteta. Some people... I don't include myself in this, feel that he was kind of, he stumbled upon Emil Smith-Rowe on Boxing Day. I give him more credit than that because I feel like he could have played Joe Willock, for instance, who he had tried previously at 10. And he decided in a big game against Chelsea to go with Smith-Rowe instead of someone that he's used before like Willock. But do you think there is, that is one of the key mistakes he has made is when players like Martinelli have been available, he has erred on the side of caution and instead gone with some of his more experienced players that have notoriously let him down throughout the season. Yeah, and it kind of licks back to that point about being braver, being braver in your tactics, being braver in your selections. Um, I think Mikel Arteta at times, and I talk about him trying to change the culture at the club, and and I get that it needs to be done and it needs to happen. But I also think that sometimes as a manager, when you're too caught up in that, you can cut your nose off to spite your face. I always use the example of of Alex Ferguson. How many times did he fall out with Roy Keane? But he knew that Roy Keane gave his team something that nobody else could and Mm. was a vital clog in that. And sometimes you just put up with the way somebody is in their character. You don't let them take liberties, but you you know what they're like and you kind of just got to cope with it. It's like any job in the world. You need a team around. If you need to work in a team, there will be people who you don't 100% see eye to eye with, but you have to work together for the good of the cause. And I think at times Arteta has has almost allowed his sort of view of players in terms of their attitude, in terms of their application to prevent him making the right decisions for the team. And as I say, I think in the long term, that will work because the culture will improve overall at the club. It becomes abundantly clear that that kind of stuff is not going to be tolerated. But in the immediate term, it can leave you, like it left us the other night, without Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who I thought probably would have been better suited to playing up front against Slavia Prague. So this is the the balance he has to strike. He has to strike the balance between picking who he thinks is the best team for the game and picking and and sort of still trying to instill this culture and punish those who showed the wrong attitude. It's, It's a hard balance to strike. And I think he struggled with that. New Tide in the chat says, if Arteta had focused on our strengths, we would be above even kind of where we are now, I assume what he's saying, even with his inexperience. And I think what he's trying to pick out there is obviously our strengths very much over the last, as far back as I can remember, have mainly been, up until you think back to the Invincibles and George Grahams, mainly in our attack and, and how strong we are going forwards. But always that big question around Arsenal has, has persistently been that Arsenal are a team that have got a mistake defensively in them, that they will concede silly goals. And that hasn't been eradicated yet. But Arteta has definitely come in, from my view, and tried to help solve that. He did it at first by switching to a back three to cover up some of the issues until he was able to bring in some players that meant we could move to the back four in Gabriel and in Thomas Partey. But 
people want to see us being more attacking. People think that there's not necessarily a certain style being established yet. Can you see a style in Arteta's play? Do you know what his his style, like you think of different managers and you associate the type of football they want to play? Can you see that style in Arteta's team yet? I think we can see it, but I think we didn't see it before Christmas and we've got to acknowledge that. In the lead up to Christmas, it was it was let's defend, let's keep it tight. We sacrificed the midfielder to add an extra centre-half to give us greater protection. And off the back of that, we couldn't create chances. We didn't look anywhere near as threatening in the attack. And that was a big, big problem. So I think, you know, whether he's, um, whether he's, whether he's stumbled across it accidentally, whether it was, a, a you know, the plan all along, we, we will never really know. But switching the formation now has given us a greater balance. There's no doubt about that. The thing is here that the, the things that he wants them to do, he wants them to press. He wants them to harry. He wants them to win the ball high up the pitch. We've seen it happen sometimes, but it's not always happened consistently. And and consistency is why we find ourselves where we find ourselves. Because I think the ideas are there and the plan is there. It's just not really, you know, it's just not really always come to fruition. And then I think he's got caught up sometimes in between certain selections. So I the central defensive pairing has changed quite frequently this season. I know some of it's been down to injury, but even when it's, there's not been injuries, he's still tinkered with it at times. You look at the, the three in behind the centre forward, I think that's been tinkered with quite a bit as well. And I think he's caught in a space between wanting to play the more technical players, i.e. the Odegaards, the Smith Rose, who will get on the ball and give you that bit more technical security. But I think he's also at times thought he needed runners, the Pepes, the people who are going to run in behind if the centre forward drops deeper. And I think that he's not always been 100% sure. So whilst he comes across as someone who's really confident in all of his ideas and knows exactly what he wants to do and when he wants to do it, I do think that at times he's, he's got his wires crossed a little bit and been a bit unsure about his own methods. I think that we aren't going to obviously see what he's capable of until he does get more of the players that he wants to integrate into this team. That is it's very, very clear. It's just, can he, with the players that he has currently, keep as much of the fan base or the board or whoever's making the big decisions on board with him until that time comes? And a lot of that will come down on, on Thursday's performance. Some people said, and I'm still saying in the chat box, that the game on Thursday, we still didn't play kind of, as attacking as maybe we necessarily needed to. On Thursday, do you think that how we approach that game needs to be different to how we did at home? We need to score. I think we need to score two um, if we've got any hope of trying to go, go through. And considering the fact that we conceded just a single away goal, we're very close to not conceding any away goals, is this a case for you of going, we need to be an all-out attack in this game, we need to try and dominate the, in terms of possession and chances, or is there still for you needing to be that element of conservativeness to, to make sure that we don't concede a silly goal on the break or in, in any state? I think in the away leg, it's very different now because we need to score a goal regardless of whether Slavia Prague get the first goal. So I think you can be a little bit more adventurous in the early stages. People have sat there and said we should have been more offensive in the home leg, yet had we conceded a goal early on, they'd have gone absolutely nuts. So it's, it's you know, the European football is is... It's almost wonky because you're playing home games where you would traditionally think that you should, you know, go out and bombard the opponent. But you also know that you run the risk of conceding a goal that could spell the end for you. So it's very difficult to find that balance in European football. It's a very different animal. I think when you 
consider like like you said that we made five five six clear cut chances against Slavia Prague in the home game. It's difficult to then come out and say that we didn't approach it right, and that's why I found the meltdown off the back of that game. And the, the criticism that went Mikel Arteta's way to be so over the top. A manager sets you up in a way whereby you create enough chances to win the match comfortably and you concede very little in terms of opportunities. The manager's done his job. He can't be on the pitch and make sure that you're efficient in the right areas. He can't do that. No manager can. You know, so that's where I had an issue with people bashing the tactics bash the players bash the players who were in the situations and didn't cash in on the key moments that's what you got to look at off the back of that game if the performance was bad i.e slavia dominated us they had all the chances we had no chances then you can look at the way we were set up but off the back of the way we played and the fact that we should have won the game comfortably i find it very difficult to blame arteta there've been other games this season where you have been able to look at the way we've played and the way we set up and said I think he got it wrong that time, but Slavia Prague at home was not one of them. Um, I noticed something that's coming from in the chat uh, is regards to Unai Emery, um, which is also my been, old uh, mate. <laughs> has been a, a, a big topic of kind of focus when we've been struggling because an argument has been laid out that we, things weren't as bad under him. He wasn't given as much time as as Arteta is being given. So, what do you kind of make of the the Emery argument? And and do you think that Arteta is doing a better job than his predecessor? I think he's taken on a harder job than his predecessor because whatever people used to say about Arsene Wenger, Arsenal were never in this position. Never, not ever under Arsene Wenger did Arsenal find themselves coming towards the back end of the season in mid-table. So I think he's inherited a much more difficult job. I think when you when you look back at Unai Emery's era, I think he did a, a really decent job in the first season up until the last couple of months. I think he got Arsenal to be more functional. I don't think we ever really established a playing style. I don't think he ever managed to improve the culture. I don't think he ever had a real long-term plan. And I don't think the club ever saw him as a long-term solution, given they only offered him a two-year contract. So Unai Emery was a was a stopgap. Let's, you know, let's let's have it right. He was a stopgap. He came in, he came very close to finishing in the top four. In my opinion, he blew it himself by being naive in certain games, almost thinking that he could take Premier League teams for granted and and made changes in games where he should never have made changes that went on to cost us. The Europa League final was was embarrassing, but it was a one-off game. And we've yeah. seen in the time since then that these players are capable of that. They are capable of disappearing. They are capable of having brain fart moments. So I don't really blame Emery for the final per se, but when the second season didn't start right, it was clear that Arsenal had made a mistake. They'd appointed the wrong person and they moved him out. The fact that the club didn't give him the players he wanted um, was partly down to the fact that the structure was different then. There were different people in different positions making those decisions. But equally, the fact that the club never really supported him by, you know, by giving him those players and, and taking that out of his hands told you all you need to know. They didn't know who to bring in to replace Arsene Wenger. Unai Emery wasn't even linked on. And all of a sudden, bang, he was there. He was coming to London the next day to sign on the dotted line. I don't think that Unai Emery is a terrible manager. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a manager who goes and and gets success at clubs 
over a shorter period of time. For example, Villarreal now, he'll do a good job there for a couple of years, three years tops, and he'll be off. Valencia, he did a good job for a period of time there. And if you talk to a Valencia fan now, they'll tell you that they, they didn't enjoy the time under Unai Emery. He did the same at Sevilla where his league form wasn't too good um, and he made up for it with Europa League wins and, and that kept him in the job. So he's a good manager, but sometimes people and clubs just don't fit. And and Emery never had a long-term plan. And the reality is we're so bad at the moment that the only way we're going to get out of it is with a concise long-term plan. Yeah, I think people often forget Emery's kind of final season at Sevilla as well, where he failed to win a single away game in the entire La Liga campaign as well. And they, they point out the fact that we, we finished one point off top four. I look at that as, as actually during that period, a bit of a failing because we could have actually finished in the top four if it wasn't for the changes that he made during those games. You talk about the embarrassing uh, Europa League final as well and, and the fact that we were on our longest winless run at the point that he got sacked in, in our history, I think, as well in the Premier League. So th there's all of that to consider. And I think it is just a case of he is there. He was the last guy. And if you want Arteta to go, it was easy to, to kind of hark back yeah. to. I'm going to give Harry a brief break um, whilst we just go and shout our sponsor very, very quickly. And of course, a big thank you to everyone in the chat that's tuning in. Make sure you drop a like on the video, guys, if you're enjoying and subscribe. Even even if you don't agree with us, uh, and that's fine. It's all open to discussion and opinions. That's the point of it. As long as you're respectful in the chat, we appreciate all of you guys in it. Thank you, Alan, as well, joining us as a new member uh, today. I'm sure to enjoy all the exclusive stuff that you're going to get access to. And also a shout out to Football Prizes, our sponsor. This week's prize is a signed Robert Pires shirt with certificate of identification uh, along with it. It will be revealed on Friday which one of those lucky entrants has won uh, the signed shirt. There is currently less than half tickets left and it runs out in just over three days time and on Friday's show we'll be revealing which one of our members has won the free entry into that competition as well so make sure you tune in on Friday's show at 5pm to find out who's won the free entry and then ultimately good luck for if you've entered and, and hopefully you can win that assigned Robert Pires shirt um, let's have a look through the chat box and see uh, what some people are saying. Uh, Gororo says, Arteta out is justified. He has underachieved with the squad that they've got. We shouldn't be 10th. Uh, Down on Aguna says, so it's a failure to, failure, sorry, to not make the top four when you have a chance to, but not a failure to finish 10th when you don't have the chance to. Um, I think that there's also the, the kind of facts around, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that the kind of the league position gets kind of hyped up as something. And actually, what we need to be looking at, I mean, before we went into the game against um, Sheffield United, we we're actually, weirdly, two points better off than we were last season in the same at the same time, which is strange considering how poor we think things are right now, that we're, we were two points better off. And yet, in the league position, we're way off. And that's obviously been down to the other teams around us performing much better and obviously other teams dropping points that you don't necessarily expect to drop points. So how do you think going into the summer... Where are kind of the main areas for you and what would you like to see us do to address this gap, to close that gap? I know it's easy to say we need to spend money. But what would be your plan, realistically, if that's even a term for Arsenal anymore, um, but what would be your plan to close this gap to the top? Well, now that he's decided on on playing with a number 10, I think it's important that we, we deal with that situation. I think that's got to be one of the priorities, whether it's... Um, whether it's Martin Odegaard, I hope it is. But if that deal can't be done, then we need to we need to address that area. For me, I, I love Emil Smith Rowe, but I just worry that he's not going to be fit enough for the time. 
um, seems to break down, doesn't seem to last more than sort of 75 minutes in a game most of the time. So that that is an area that we need to address. And it's just about, this is why when people say uh, talk about a process and then they say, what's the process? The process is a mess. The process is building this group of players, building this squad over a period of time. And, and the reason it has to be over a period of time is because financially we can't just go and do a Chelsea and spend 200 plus million in one window. If we could and we could bring in four top players in the summer, we'd be we'd be right up there, but we can't. Mm. So you've got to do it slowly. And sometimes in, in the process, you will be left short in certain areas, like the way we are in left back now, because we've had players at the club who don't want to be there. Kolasinac doesn't want to be there. Maitland-Niles doesn't want to stay and, and be a fill-in for a left-back. And so we've had to let those guys go so that we can free up wages and we can free up money and we can potentially get the moves in the summer. And now we're going to have to rebuild in that position. So for me, centre midfield uh, is massive as well because beyond Partey and Xhaka, I just don't think we're good enough. I don't expect Sabayos to stay. And even if he did, I, I think there are question marks over him. Uh, based on his season. So centre midfield, attacking midfield, and I think we need to address uh, the left-back area as a priority. And if we do sell Hector Bellerin, we probably need to look at the right-back area as well. So that was the easy question. The, the hard question is, Harry, is do you expect this to happen? Do you think you can go into that summer confident that the club are going to work on those things? I think that they will try and work on it. I think that will be the intention, but whether they can actually pull it off or not is another thing. I think that how we finish the season, i.e. do we end up with European football or not, will be massive. It's huge in terms of what we'll be able to do in the summer. Mm. And this is why I get so frustrated when I see Arsenal fans almost willing us to fail because they want to make a point about Mikel Arteta. Do they not realise how significant missing out on European football for Arsenal next season could be? You're all talking about bringing this player in, bringing that player in. Oh, let's get Bissouma. Let's get this guy. Let's get that guy. We need the finance to do it. And the only way we get the finance is by qualifying for Europe. So we have to be behind the team right now. We have to hope that the club are, are going to make it happen. Listen, I know the Cronkies aren't the best owners and I'm not their biggest fan. But for me, it's not even about money with them. It's about the fact that they're so passive. That's what frustrates me. Um, you know, so can they do something like they did last summer where they helped us get the Partey deal over the line? If it's mm. not them putting their hands in their pockets, can we restructure some debt? Can we do something to make it happen? You know, we're going to have to wait and see. I think the club will be trying. I think Mikel Arteta doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be a yes man and just sit there without having had some kind of guarantees about what he'll be able to do in the market. But then, of course, it's not just dependent on what your owners and what your club say. You have to make the other clubs play ball as well, which is obviously the most difficult part. For me, going in, like, from my perspective and the plan that I'd look at, and we've talked about it before, is the per kind of we, what we just coined it as the perfect Arsenal summer, is that at least four members of the starting squad in an array of different positions have to be upgraded upon. For me, those positions are most likely right back. The, the, the partner for Thomas Party, although I'm very appreciative of Granit Xhaka this season, I think he's been one of the better players this season, especially in the second half. Um, the attacking midfield role, which at the moment looks to be 
filled by Odegaard temporarily and whatever we do with that in the summer. And then a forward player. And I say forward and not specifically striker because the, the, the situation with our strikers is, is tricky. And the news regarding Balogun is also, it's great news, but it complicates the matter further as to what you do, if he's going to be staying and whether or not. I mean, I was speaking to Clive, of course, as we know very well from the Arsenal Vision podcast, and he's looking at maybe a left-sided kind of player if Martinelli's future is, is more central. And you could bring in maybe a right-footed, inverted, left-sided player, which would then enable someone like Tierney to overlap. And then you play the incisive inverted pass or reverse pass uh, back to the fullback. And, and really kind of, we I think we've identified that whilst Arteta does want to shore things up defensively, his style is very much in using those wide areas to our best effect and getting those low-driven crosses into the box. And that comes through the use of your fullbacks. We're being linked with someone like Ashraf Hakimi. And I know you love your Serie A. Harry, and of course, congratulations, by the way, on, on, on Simply Serie joining up with uh, with 90 Min. That's great Thank news. you, man. Thank um, you. Appreciate that. Talk to me about Hakimi, because I know that's someone that you, you will, I'm sure, like as a Serie A fan. But do you, I've got reservations kind of about the defensive side of his game, because he plays majority of his time as kind of a wing back in a 3-5-2 under Conte. Do you think he could translate that into a, a right-sided fullback in, in a back four? I think he's capable of it. I think he's got all the attributes that would be required to play as a more traditional fullback. But I do have concerns about that as well. Antonio Conte's system gives you so much defensive stability in the central areas that it almost frees up the, the wingbacks to do even less than wingbacks would do in somebody else's team because there's such a big emphasis on that central area. And that's how Antonio Conte's teams like to defend. They like to defend the width for their penalty area. And beyond that, they will allow you to have the ball because they'll they'll back themselves to deal with the crosses into the penalty area because of the sort of the number of bodies they get back. Hakimi is incredible going forward. He's got such good pace. Um, he's really technical as well. He's got a fantastic delivery on him. Someone I'd love to see play for Arsenal. Um, has played in a back four before. Um, I know someone's pointed that out in the chat as yep. well, and it, it is a good point. You shouldn't um, sort of overlook that. But I think when you play Hakimi in the back four, you're almost taking away what he's best at because he doesn't have that extra license to get forward. So can it work? It can work if the system is set up correctly. But I think at Arsenal right now, we're in a place where our system is geared to Kieran Tierney bombing down the left because Xhaka drops into that sort of deeper left-sided position. Can you do that on both sides? I'm not sure you can do it on both sides without affecting the balance of the team too much. So that would be my reservation about that. I look at kind of Trent Alexander-Arnold as a player, and I know he's not played as a wing-back, but he's someone that who's, whose talents are very much focused on the offensive side of his game. But he has a, a typically has had a Virgil van Dyke next to him. And I look at Hakimi coming in. And right now, if we weren't to sign anyone, you're either putting a lot of stock in Saliba coming in and being that guy, or David Luiz getting an extension, or it being Rob Holding or Callum Chambers. And I feel like, yes, Hakimi would give us so much going forwards and maybe a little bit less because we're playing him in the back four. But that right-sided centre-back is a big question mark for me. And I feel if you invest in someone like Hakimi, you need to make sure that you've solidified that right centre-back slot to give him that same cover. Or you change system to suit. But do we have enough players to play a three at the back? And I don't think Arteta wants to play a three at the back system either. So there's all that to consider. Um, we're going to round off the show there. So thank you ever so much, Harry, uh, for coming. Thank on you today. for having me, mate. 
No problem at all. It's always a pleasure. Um, tell people where they can find you on the socials, what you're going to be up to, and and same old Arsenal stuff as well. Yeah, you can catch me on Chronicles of Agunas on YouTube and on audio platforms. I'm on uh, 90 Min. Um, and uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Harry Simu. Check out the same old Arsenal podcast as well. Um, I'm a regular on there with Craig and the boys. Uh, although I'm not going to be on there for a couple of weeks just because of work commitments. But do check it out because it is really, really good. And um, yeah, head over there and check it out. There you go. You've heard from the man himself. So go <laughs> check out Sam Odd Arsenal, Cockles of Aguna, and all of his stuff over at 90 Minutes Run. You can find him on Twitter at Harry Simeo as well. We'll be back a little bit later on this evening uh, for a tactical breakdown talking about Matthias Martinelli. Not that Martinelli, uh, a very different Martinelli, uh, breaking him down with the help of some Brazilian football experts. So make sure you definitely tune in for that. And tomorrow morning, we're back for another. Let's Talk Arsenal show with Andrew from Arse Blog, which is going to be another good listen as well. So we will see you tomorrow and this evening too. But other than that, it's been a pleasure to speak to you. As always, drop a like on the video, subscribe if you're new. And as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go. And you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.